poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on the show is good friend, renowned, high-stakes vet, the host of Sessions and founder of Poker Apparel at Poker Rags, DGAF. And these days, apparently, he's back to GAF, which is absolutely music to my ears. If you love comebacks, crazy journeys, self-examination, brutal honesty, and the pursuit of excellence in the world of poker, today's episode will be right up your alley. But before you dive into today's show, I wanted to let you know you can check out all of the current CPG courses at ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash courses. All of the CPG post-flop courses that you hear trailers for in Chasing Poker Greatness are powered by meticulously analyzing massive amounts of data so that the strategies they teach you are outrageously effective in any game you play in. There's a reason why over 60% of the folks who buy one course end up buying all of them. That's because they flat out work. So once again, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash courses to check out everything I've cooked up thus far in my den of greatness. And now, without any further ado, I bring to you a world-class poker player, and a good friend who has the second best podcast in poker, DGAF. Mr. AF, is that how you respond now, Mr. AF, Mr. DGAF? Sure. However you want, however you want to say it. Well, welcome back to the show, man. It's good having you. Nice seeing you. It's always nice seeing you, man. You look good. Uh your hair looks different, maybe. Something looks different, but you look good. I appreciate it. I, uh, yeah, I, my hair's grown back. There was a period over the last year where I just didn't have hair for, I don't know, eight months or so. Just Yeah, you looked like a tough guy before, and now you look like a nice guy again. Yeah, hair. That, that's, that's what it does. It, it just good. affects all the things. But, um, yeah, I, I want to ask you or catch up on what you've been up to over the past year. I know you're obviously still doing sessions and in the podcasting game and live poker not being a thing has had to impact you pretty heavily, I would imagine. Well, yeah, my, my, my priority is content. It's my podcast sessions. I, I drop at least four times a week and, you know, a lot goes into each drop. I don't have to tell you that, but, I also ha- know I have been playing live poker the whole time in, in the penalty boxes they have set up at, at the different casinos. It's definitely not the same, but it's something. And uh, I actually, you're going to like to hear this. I actually kind of have the bug again. I want to, I think last time we talked, I said I just wanted to come up in life again. And I didn't care how, whether it be through content or my business poker rags and or poker i kind of want to come up in life and i don't care how but i also want to i also want to flex my muscles in poker one last time so i kind of 
I am chasing poker greatness again, actually. That's, that is actually really good news. That's really great for me to hear because you're someone, and do you mind being judged? Because I'm going to judge you for a moment. Uh, I, there's nothing I like more in life than being judged. Okay, so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to judge you then since you sure. love it so much. Go for it. You have so much ability in poker. Like, you're just a great, tough, ferocious opponent at the poker table. Somebody that demands respect when, you know, at least in my experience, when I'm going to war with you. And to me, I, I think that, like, with your, your potential is pretty much unlimited. And I feel like, you know, over the past few years, there are times where you've you've been the limiting factor in your own growth, development, and ability as a poker player. And I think that, like, yeah, one thing that, again, I'll judge is that I feel like you've held yourself back over the last few years, and I didn't like that. You know, I want to see you unleashed and just be the fucking beast that I know you to be. And, yeah, that that to me. So, yeah, you investing yourself into poker and getting the bug again, man, that, that fires me up. Like, I, I'm excited for you. I, I thought you might like to hear that. Yeah, I, uh, so when, when I got way into content, obviously I put poker on, the, on a back burner because I had a new passion, new love, and um, I've been in the game for so long, and I've had these periods of running so horrible that, that they really made it tough for me to play to focus and, and to stay off tilt. And I think just talking about it for four years in my podcast, I'm kind of coming around the corner of, I can handle it now. I can, I can, when I go on tilt, I can quickly get myself off tilt and I'm enjoying the, uh, the new ways to, to, to own people at the table. It's just kind of, it's kind of fun. It is fun. Learning and growing and honing your craft is, to me, it's always fun and exciting. And throughout the pandemic, you know, I guess you and I, we have like different sides of it. But me, it's been creating training, right? Like that's how I, I built my business was to create coaching, create training products and use the podcast as like the tool to get people in, you know, just to get people in my web, right? To get people familiar with me as a human being. And if you like me and you want to learn more and you want to improve at poker, buy some of my training products. And just the act of creation and data analysis and learning and coaching has just done wonders for my poker game. Like today, I can say with absolute confidence that I'm at the peak of my powers. And yeah, I just feel like just an animal and I attributed a lot to just, you know, building my business effectively, like trying to figure out like, how could I teach people in a way that isn't currently on the market and that I think would be the best uh, way that I can, Brad Wilson, create training products. And that's just sort of elevated my game in the meantime. So yeah, man, it, it's, uh, through, I guess throughout your sessions venture, you've found the love again. And that's a great thing. Maybe through your community too. You know, you're, you have a bunch of people that love playing poker and I'm sure that that's motivating. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I've kind of been about the story. Um, I, I do enjoy storytelling, which poker actually is. Live poker is for sure, right? When you're at the table, you're trying to get your opponent to think something about you and about your hand, each hand. And so you get you can get pretty creative. And And I've taken that into content. and. I didn't care really how how I did at the poker tables as long as I was 
captivating people with my podcast. And then someone who was supporting me said, I, I don't want to hear this guy lose and he, and he quit. Right. And it kind of made me mad. And I just said, okay, I won't lose anymore. And uh, I kind of uh, ripped off 12, 12 wins in a row uh, after that. And it's kind of, I, I haven't really had any big wins. I haven't been running sizzling hot, which uh, I feel like you have to run sizzling hot to really feel that, like that the power you were talking about. I know you play online; it's, it's just much different. You can you can get the volume in, and you can feel good about constantly making the best decision in live. You kind of do need to have like a big session here or there to really kickstart you into like, okay, I'm just gonna keep going. I want to play as high as I can as I can play, I'm going to, I want to play against everyone and in as, as big as we can play. Um, I haven't had that yet, but I do think it's coming. I think uh, I'm, I'm working towards it. I don't, you said you're at the peak of your powers in, in poker. And I believe that because you're, you're every day focused on strategy and, and you're playing a good amount. I'm not there yet, but, but I do watch poker again and I watch the biggest games on stream and, and part of me is start starting to have that like, well, I would have I would have figured that out very quickly what this person was doing. And uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not in poker shape, if you will. I'm just not a I have too many things going on in my life. But I do think I'm going to I'm going to do it one more time, whether it be uh, next, probably, probably like next year. I, I hope to, uh, to to really climb all the levels and, and just fucking go for it. And I think that whenever you make up your mind to do so, you will. And that's just the reality of it. What's been helpful and beneficial to me, I just had Andrew Brokus on from the Thinking Poker podcast. And we talked about one of my private coaching students who's, uh, you know, co he co hosts Tactical Tuesday with me now. And he's just young and hungry and wants to play as big as he can and see what he's made of and test himself, you know, against good players and in the meantime just destroy the worlds of everybody else who's foolish enough to sit against him at the poker table and like it's so easy for me to feed off of that energy and be like man i love this kid like you know it, it's just like i'm going to do this and it's not about even the money it's just about seeing what i'm made of and what i can do and like you know he we've had conversations about him going to tell he's like would it be crazy if i just like go play on live at the bike like after they turn off the feed just to like test myself against like Garrett and, and that crew. And I'm like, nah, man, go like, as long as you can afford, you know, dropping three or four buy-ins at like 25, 50 and L then test yourself. Right. And, and that's just like, it's, mo it's motivating. It's, I feed off of that energy and I'm like, God damn, like he's going to go, he's going to go play in that game to test himself. Like I want to go test myself now. Like I want to play, you know, the biggest stakes online that I can find. I want to travel around and play the biggest games that they spread. And it's just contagious when you have somebody that you're working with that closely, who has that kind of energy, man, it, it, it drives you. It's just very motivating. Yeah. Agreed. I, uh, I don't know what's motivating me. I think honestly it, it was it was that supporter. I felt like I was doing my job as a podcaster, just telling great stories um more often than not. And well and then I realized people also want to hear you, you win in poker and and I don't know, it just pissed me off that the guy quit because I wasn't 
I wasn't losing. I haven't had a losing year, but I'm just not winning shit and not, I'm stuck at, at this at this level that doesn't suit me at all, like two, five and five, 10, where it's just, you gotta try and make the best hand a bunch. It's all multi-way, it's, it's not that interesting to me. And so, uh, I don't know, it kind of lit a fire under my ass to, to yeah, I, I also want to uh, play much, much bigger, like like uh, your student or co-coach. That you're about. <laughs> he's, he's my student and co-host on Tactical, my strategic episodes on Tuesday. Co-host, okay. Yeah, my, my co-host. What's um, his name? Why are, we, why are we not saying his name? His name's John. His name's okay. John. And well, you got to give him a little... They you know. Gotta his, you got to put his name out there, man. Oh, everybody in my sphere knows knows about John. We've talked about him a bunch. He's, you know, went from being like a live knit, basically, I believe in like July or August or September of last year, contacted me for private coaching, never played online, and basically just bought in. You know, he's just one of the people that trusted and bought into my coaching methodology. And, you know, private coaching. Basically he would show up every week with a NASA like report on his homework. That was just so thorough that like, it was obvious he's putting in the work and he's, he's focused and growing and long story short, you know, this January ripped off, uh, first month of the year rips off 50 K win, uh, playing online poker and then went to Vegas, uh, ripped off like a 20 K win playing like five ten and a little bit of 10, 20, but mostly five ten over course of a couple of weeks like he, he's just basically yeah he's crushing everything right now and um it's exciting right like it, it's exciting in the way that like it brings me back to the beginning of my career when it was like full of possibility and you don't know where you're going to end up and everything's an adventure and exciting and you're testing your metal and uh yeah it's just it, it's i'm around it again and that's like okay let's fucking go like I, I want to be the best that I can because you're trying to be the best that you can. And um, just having people close to you like that, I mean, it, it can just mean the difference between stagnation and uh, busting through transcendence, right? Um, in, in, in your case, you mentioned that your patron basically left because they wanted to hear a happy ending, right? They wanted to hear some good news. I, I would say like in every journey and every story, you know, there are ups and downs, but there are certainly ups. So we need, yeah. we need the ups too. Yeah. I no, I, I understand that. It's uh <laughs> I understand. I just thought people just wanted to have their minds taken away for an hour. But yeah, you do need ups. I, I agree with I agree with you there. Um I've already you said it brought you back to this guy making his first rise is bringing you back to when you did. So I've already, I'm older, I've already done it twice. Like I did it and then I had to have that, that, uh, okay, let's do it again. I did it. And then this third one is just so much harder than the the first two for, for so many reasons. But like I said, and I, and I kind of was just leaning on my content, which is growing my, the support for my content grows every month and that's obviously a great trend, right? If your salary goes up every single month, um, it's easy to get complacent in poker and, and say, I'm just going to show up and, and document these crazy characters and these funny hand histories. And, um, but I also, now I have an itch to like own some faces again. So, yeah. I'm excited to see you owning faces and 
I hope it's not my face, but if it is, it is. So be it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun going through uh, the process of playing cards against you again. I, I do look forward to that. So now we're going to actually take a look at your stories and go through the greatest hits, right? So just imagine all of your poker adventures and stories that you've had. If you could create like an album of the best of the best stories that you just would tell family or friends sitting around a table, tell me one of those stories. So I guess I should start at the beginning. The, sto the story of how I got hooked on, on No Limit Hold'em. Uh, and I've told this in different places, but it's, it's worth repeating. Um, I was, I'm old enough that I was already in casino. I was already a casino rat before No Limit. I was playing stud high-low and limit hold'em. And I was just a pre-flop warrior. I just knew what hands to start with, and that was basically enough to eke out a really small win rate in really small games. But who gives a shit? I had turned my gambling habit into something profitable. And then after ESPN aired uh, Chris Moneymaker winning the 2003 main event, which I think they did maybe in 2004, but whenever it was, uh, the casino I was at spread a No Limit game that morning. I, have, I was there not to play No Limit because there never was No Limit. So the very first day, they started a 1-2 game, right? And no one knew. And I just took a seat. I didn't know how to play No Limit, right? And maybe 30 minutes into the session, I had, I had loosened up quite a bit compared to uh, Limit Hold'em. Limit Hold'em, I played very tight. And, and just intuitively... I knew I could play way more hands in this format, right? And I called uh, an early position raise with 9-7 offsuit against an old man with suspenders, which <laughs> is you're kind of lighting money on fire um, unless you're going to go for it a good amount, right? And I didn't even know I was going to go for it. Uh, maybe subconsciously I did. And it wasn't even a great play. I just I flopped a draw. He had an overpair. He bet. I called. Turn was a break. He bet, I called, River was a brick, he checked, and I just had an aneurysm, and I just said all in. <laughs> <clears throat> and and it, so it's obviously not repping a ton, and it's, it's, you know, it's a very debatable line, but this was, what, 17 years ago at least, and uh, he turned over Jacks, an overpair, and folded, and it was just one of those moments in life, like, oh shit, I know this is for me, this game's for me, because... I'm not the most patient person in the world. And if I can win good money without the best hand, what's going to happen when I have the best hand? And they maybe 10 or 15 minutes later, they say, okay, well, now we're starting a 2-4 no limit hold'em. Of course, I went to that game. <laughs> and uh, really, I, it was a pretty big moment in my life. It, poker became, it went from this little side gig I did to make little, little you know, beer money and whatnot. To, uh, I became obsessed with it. I read every single book. I, 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 you know, lurked two plus two as hard as anyone. I contributed a lot on two plus two. I became um, a world class no live no limit hold'em player, and uh, it, you know, it, it did a lot of things for me in life, and and uh, has paid many bills, and, and and yeah. So that was the the first story of significance, probably. In all my interactions with you, I rarely, I think we've rarely talked about poker strategy. I know that we've never talked about it deeply, which I think is interesting in and of itself that my, 
my read on your poker game only comes through firsthand experience with playing against you instead of, you know, just diving deep into strategy discussions. Um, and I know that like, maybe that's like the old school way of never discussing strategy, but you had to have like some confidants that you discuss strategy with, right? Like whether it be, you know, Corey from commerce or just some uh, human beings in your life that you regularly talk strategy with, right? It was mostly on two plus two. Okay. Uh, I, I obviously have so a lot of people in my life who are world-class players as well. Um, mostly would rather talk about something else. Occasionally we would break down hands. I was, I was sick obsessed with it during the boom. So um, people were making easy money and, and, and that was cool. I was making the easy money and wanted to get way better. And so I was just, I did most of my interacting online in the forums and, and just and any hand that ever got posted, I weighed in on, I, I, I listened, I, you know, sometimes changed my opinion, often stuck with my opinion and didn't care that it was different than what the online players were saying about a live hand. And, uh, yeah, so I, I did a ton of strategy work back then to the point where I could get better technically at, at no limit. I could get much better preflop. Um, but I know what, I know what the key is for me. The key for me is to be just to be calm at the table. I can autopilot the, the, decisions pre-flop i've just done it so many like you know tens of thousands of hours right and if i'm calm and i can stay up till and i cannot feel cursed and or angry um i'm just hyper perceptive i i i know what my opponent has and not only what they have but i know what their thresholds are are they ready to are they ready to dump are they ready are they never going to stack off because they just doubled up and that's the psychological part is my edge. And so I've realized that lately that when I can get, when I can just do some breathing before I start or whatever it ha happens to be, go in relaxed, uh, that's when I just really like my side. So that's, that may sound old school and it, it probably is, but that's the, the strategy thing for me is I just have to have the mindset when I'm playing because I know often I don't and I don't play that well. Um, um, you know, people can read me, which is, which is, which sucks. And I can't read them. And I second guess, well, when I have the right mindset, they can't read me. I can read them. And I just know right away what to do. And I go with it. Occasionally it's not the right move, but most often it is. And it's a, it feels good. It's yeah. It's about confidence. Really. It's about just confidence, belief in your ability and, you know, your mindset kind of going into it. I think that, so what's interesting is like basically the way that we've been able to train and learn about poker has advanced in sophistication so much in the past, not just five years, but the past like two years, as far as I'm concerned, that there's, you know, in upgrading and expanding your awareness on some areas that you would be very, very interested in. I, I think they are available. And for somebody like you, they would just be devastating for the opponents that you're battling against what what you mentioned before though is something that resonates with me very much in just having understanding psychologically that somebody's about to go off like a rocket it's like almost a sixth sense in a way where it's like somebody hasn't they haven't done anything out of line for hours that you've played against them and then for some reason 
It's like a spider sense tingles, and you just know that this is the time. This is the moment that they're about to just go off like a rocket. And then, like, it's always shocking to me how often that read is just on the money. Yeah, if, if you feel it, it it's, it's crazy how accurate it is. So you just, like, maybe I'm not going to three-bet, like, you know, King King Jack suited here because it's going to be either – it's just time, right? It's just time where I'm going to get four-bet – and maybe there's a better way to play this hand. Whereas every hand leading up to this, it's just punish this guy, punish him. And well, you know, he's reached his boiling point and, and that's, that's when you have to play differently. And uh, that's when you have to go for value only against this guy, you know, on most boards. And yeah, it's just an adjustment you make at the table being, being hyper perceptive. Yeah. It's like you make the raise and you just, you have this like giddy, sense of yourself on the inside where like you're going for this race which it isn't even like a clear value race right we'll just say like top hair top kicker or something like you basically choose an action that you're rarely choosing but inside you know that this is like the moment that's they're just going to go out like you just know that they can't help themselves it's the boil they've reached the boiling point it's all led to this and they're about to just do something catastrophic and you're just going to be there to reap the rewards um that's like I, I guess with live poker that that's probably the feeling that i miss the most where it's like yeah, somebody's played pretty well for eight hours, but then you just know that they, they're at that point. They're about to give it away, and you're about to be the recipient. And um, it kind of sucks for them, but it, it's also like pretty cool that I, I guess you know you and I we've honed our ability to just be in the moment and feel the, that type of energy coming from somebody, and then to execute at a high level. There's a lot of pride that goes into that. It's a good feeling. Yeah. It's a good feeling knowing what, like when they are imploding, but it's all, it's also really good knowing what people think of you. So due to my busy schedule, I play some, some day sessions where I don't drink. I play some night sessions where I've already worked all day. And I broke my fast. I'm have some beers. And I know, I know the difference in my image at the table. Right. And in the day I, I bluff actually way more than, than in, at night. But uh, you know, like I'm playing against a newer pro and recently I had a hand, I had ace nine and it came like nine XX and I bet, and he, he had a, he had open and he checked called and then the turn was a Jack and, uh, he checked and I checked and then the river was a brick and he checked. And so I just knew both that my hand was good, that he just almost exactly had like pocket eights. And I knew he couldn't fold to me because I had uh, a Jameson and Diet and a Stella in front of me. And I just bet like as much as I could with ace nine on nine X X Jack X. And I got the call and I turned my hand and it was good. And it, like that kind of stuff feels good. It wasn't him imploding. It was him looking down like, who's this guy that just walked in this casino at 3 a.m.? And, uh, and so you just get, you know, you just go for the value there where, whereas if it's, if you, you know, if you have a different image, you, you have to play the hand differently. Yeah. It, it, it's just about image and their perception of you. And like, obviously with you, a drink in hand, they're more likely to look you up when you bet big in those spots than, yeah, if it's like during the day and you're playing against just other people and you're in like good shape and <laughs> good right. mental state, right? It's just, it's right. just different. Um, get more folds. 
yeah, you, you get more folds. So you try to bluff more. That's the, of course, yeah. that's the adjustment, but yeah, always be aware of like how you're perceived. Even if that perception is that like you're steaming, you're on tilt, right? Like, I mean, that's something that's worked in my favor over my live poker career as well, where like you lose a big pot and then, you know, you rebuy and like just immediately get aces and it's like, ah, sweet. Like now I get to sell the steam angle of the situation where like, yeah, I'm just going to be over aggressing or the perception is that I'm going to be over aggressing. I think that obviously in my mind, it's kind of all the same, but like understanding how people perceive you at the poker table is just worth a lot of money over your poker career. Absolutely. I, I, no, I wasn't really thinking about it before, but since we started talking, I think the one difference uh, that also you probably like to hear uh, lately is that I have been, I guess I've been playing tighter preflop. I've, I've gotten rid of like the really garbage hands in, in most spots in, you know, unless the game's super shorthanded, but uh, that's something people have wanted me to do forever. And, and it comes from, uh, I had a period of time where I only played heads up pretty much even in the live arena and, and people probably are wondering how the hell did you do that? Well, I had the, the salesman skills to get it done, but Someone very smart, uh, Ryan Lux, went by Lucid Dream on 2 plus 2, said, be careful, it's going to wreck your full ring game. And it really did. It really did with, with, with regard to hand selection. You just feel like you're playing against bad players. You feel like you can play any hand, and you just can't. Maybe you could 10 years ago when they were sitting too deep, but you can't now. And it, you, don't, you don't have to think they're good at all to, to fold uh, hands that, you know, are, are close. And I think in the past few years, I was kind of getting in there with them just because I didn't have enough respect for my opponents and how much the games change. Yeah. And I mean, really everything kind of hinges on that first decision that we make in the tree, the preflop decision. And it's like, you can kind of get away with that when you're playing against lesser competition, because they're not going to punish you in the way that you should be punished. But as you move up and the competition level rises, what you'll find is like you start playing too many hands. Well, that's just going to create situations deeper in the tree where you're either over folding or over bluffing or over defending just because you started out with way more hands than you should have started out with in the first place. And now you have to manage those hands across all of the, you know, the flop, the turn in the river. Yeah, it's, it's tiring. It's you're going to get punished in, in this day and age again in bigger games for sure. Even in like, even in games that aren't that big during the world series, if everyone's allowed to come come out here, you obviously just have to play a lot tighter than you used to. You're going to get three bet a ton. Yeah. Blame me. The, the, the blame there's on me and preflop bootcamp and getting people out there three betting and playing your fault, man. Yeah. I can live with it. I can live with it. Well, as long, as long as you don't teach them uh, what to do against a four-bet, I'm okay with it. Oh, they know all of it. Like 100, 100 big do. blinds deep, they, they've got their four-bet bluffs, they've got their four-bet value, they've got their five-bet uh, bluff, they've got all their five-bet value range. Like, we've got heuristics. We, got, we, we have it all. So You know what, then? Sorry I'm going to double them up, and then there'll be 200 big blinds deep. Then they're lost. <laughs> uh, see that strategy right there <laughs> yeah didn't they have no fucking idea what to do at 200 big blinds deep? that's great what would you say is your poker superpower my poker superpower is 
is that that hyper sensitivity to to people's energy it's just really it's something that i don't love in general i'm just so sensitive to to people around me so perceptive that when i'm out in public places i like to have a buzz because i like to like take the take that down a, a few notches right so i don't like it like at a crowded restaurant it's the worst i can I can feel what's going on with every family around me, right? And um, but at a poker table, it's a superpower, no question. Um, that would be my that would be my main superpower. I just um, kind of a soul reader, and it's not even. It's just I just know what's going on with people when, when I'm around them. And then the other thing is, I I can usually not always. I can think really fast, um, multitask, you know, weigh variables, and also keep conversation going and get information that way. So a multitasking would be the secondary one. Yeah. I mean, the hypersensitivity is certainly an asset. Do you have any stories about your superpower in action? Any hands that come to come to mind? I mean, I've made a lot of hero calls in my life. A couple have been horrible. I called 2K. It was seven high one time on the river and the guy had two pair. But that's okay. I, I've made a, a bunch. Uh, that, 2K was seven high. Do we have like, can we get any sort of context? It's like it so double paired. Ago. Like, what is the deal? No, no, no. The board wasn't. It was uh, his, he called, I had raised, I think, on the turn. And, and so his calling range was um, open and straight draws, both of which seven high beat and two pair plus. So I uh, just, when he just kind of like donked the river after the river was a break and I had seven high, I had seven deuce offsuit, which <laughs> is not the best starting hand, but uh, it's what, it's what I had in the, in this kind of street poker game. <clears throat> and so that's an example of a, of a kind of going wrong, but I was against this range. You could justify a call because he has the open enters and they're all the open enters are six high or five high. And uh, yeah, I, uh, 2k just down the drain but it's okay i mean it happens in poker i, I think like i i made a card runners video probably five years ago where i'm pretty sure i called like 800 on the river with jack high on like a board of seven eight four deuce i mean a seven eight three deuce deuce or something like and i had jacked in high actually that can't have been the board but the board's irrelevant because the fish was just bluffing with like a pair of deuces and right. <laughs> they were bluffing with a pair and kind of got me but um i remember playing that hand and thinking like ugh, like do i really want to put this out there in the world and then i realized like man why not like you went with your read you went with your instinct like that's what's gotten you this far why why be ashamed of that now you know yeah i would say every session at least three times when the cards are turned over there's a lot of confused faces at the table <laughs> including the dealer so more often than not you know you just call with high card or even if it's not that high and, and you're right like they, they had what you but sometimes it looks ugly especially when they're bluffing with a bluff catcher which people insist on doing and that's good. It's good in general for, for the rest of us, but it's frustrating when you can't beat their bluff catcher with your bluff catcher and they're bluffing with their bluff catcher. That You're not teaching that, are you? No, that's not a thing I, I teach. I think it's... I, I, that, man. I don't know. I don't know who's teaching it. I, I don't think anybody's teaching it. I think it's just like how a thing that people do is they kind of 
mix up like relative strength versus absolute strength and they undervalue a hand that's like relative or they they undervalue a hand that's relatively strong for the situation and then they bluff with it and then it's like we think they're polarized and so we make a hero call and we're like fuck like you got me um got me with the deuces shove on the river yeah so i i don't know that i have i think in what was it in season two of sessions i documented every hand i played in the 2019 main event and i was pretty locked in for that thing uh every day and i i made a couple plays that were you could only make in a live game online you just have to fold and i just uh did the opposite i raised or i think they were all raises because i couldn't I, my, I didn't have even a bluff catcher. So I think there's a few instances in there of me using that, but I really just use it all the time to construct different ranges. It's not, it's not, I don't have standard ranges for, for situations. It's all based on the person, what's going on with them in that moment and, and how they're behaving and things they say. Um, so I'm I, sorry, I don't have anything that's like, you know, amazing to hear, but I just use it all the time. Well, I mean, you, you mentioned prioritizing data points. I think that's the thing the best players do. They're able to, I, I think there's a little bit of a misnomer that top level players process a lot more information than other people. I think they're just really good at prioritizing and ranking the data that comes their way and using that to make a better decision than most people make, right? It's like basically just data prioritization, using those data points, like how people are talking, how they're acting, how they put money in the middle, what they say, like what their perception of you is, all, all these things, they matter. And a lot of decisions can hinge on these data points and just being aware of like when they're valuable and when they're not. I mean, that that's a big thing. That's an important thing that you got to be able to do, especially in the live poker streets where you just have access to many more data points than you do playing online. Yeah, so you call it prioritizing data points. I've always called it assigning weight to variables. There are endless variables in a, in a live game. Is the guy, is the guy drinking? Is, is he winning? Did the dealer just piss him off? Did his wife just call? Like, there... So there's endless. Did he and, just listen to an Oreo or did he just oh, yeah. open it? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be one that, that you'd prioritize at the mm -hmm. top. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I've always called it assigning weight. And and it's when I'm playing my best, I the one thing that I, get, I give the most weight to, and I, and I think you always should in live poker, is – what is this person capable of uh, with regard to risk? You can block the hands that should be shoving. They could, for you know, for value, you they, they beat you. Um, it can be unlikely they have them based on preflop and, and other streets. It it could be a really narrow value range that that, which makes it a snap call in theory. But you also can just know that fucking person cannot go all in with a bluff, right? And so if there's like one combo of of queens or whatever, that's what he has, right? And so that that risk aversion is should always be the 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 heaviest variable when it comes to big decisions and no limit. At least 
at, at the stakes most people play, you know, when, when you're talking about really high stakes, people can obviously stuff it in there. And there's other stuff that, that gets a lot more weight. But that's the number one. It's just, can this person do this right now? And and most people just can't, which is why live poker is great. You just bluff all the time and you just shouldn't be paying off big bets. And And that's the kind of basic, easy way to play. I agree. And it takes a lot. I mean, let's be real here. It takes a lot to run a really big bluff and put the money in. And it, it is difficult, especially, you know, when the pressure is on and you're outside your comfort zone. Uh, I've told the story multiple times before on the show, but like there was a time when I don't know if you remember this, but the whole baiting thing where like somebody's got a river decision and like you feel like they're probably going to fold and like you grab your cards and like hold it over the muck. Like you're like baiting them. Like, I know you're going to fold. Let's move on. Let's play the next hand. Like, let's go. Yeah, um, yeah. And like, you just always have the nuts, right? Like anytime I had ever seen it hat done, they, whoever was doing it had the nuts, right? So I get this, I get this fucking idea in my head of like, okay, I'm going to do this against a good player in a moment where I think they're not going to fold. And so I just had the plan. I had the thought. And then one day the situation just developed where it's a river. I jammed. It felt like they were going to call. And in like this moment of like sort of desperation, it was like, all right, let's pull this trick out of the bag and see how it works. And man, I'm not shitting you. Like it took everything in my power to grab my cards and hold them over the muck with a bluff. Like it was physically hard for me to do just because like everything sort of in everything that it goes against all the things, right? Like all the human biology things of like, sit still, don't make yourself a target. Like <laughs> they're going to see you. And as soon as I did it, the player actually, they, they kind of scoffed a little to themselves and uncapped their cards and threw it in the muck really quickly, which was like <laughs> a big relief, but it was really hard for me to go, even go through doing that reverse tell in the first place. And so like the people who are inexperienced putting all their money in and putting themselves out there at risk like that, some people just are not willing to do that. Most are not because if you're a well-adjusted human being, I, I think it's, it's not, it's definitely not natural to be like lying in hands. Like I'm all in, but I'm actually lying because my hand sucks. Right. It's and it's oh shit, if I get called, this is really gonna hurt, right? You well adjusted human beings don't want to lie. They they want to uh protect themselves against possible pain, right? Possible great loss. Well, so and, and mo most people are pretty well adjusted. Fortunately for me, I got all kinds of issues, so I have no problem at the poker table. I, I do the I do reverse tells all the time. Like uh the other day I I bet a lot with absolute air. And then I said, I've been drinking all day, which was true. And I knew that my opponent would take that as, oh, he's trying to get a call and he folded. Same thing you, that you did, right? And it was true, I'd been drinking all day and I had some dog shit hand <laughs> that, you know, I was just going no equity the whole way. And I just needed, I needed to get over the hump, right? And, and you see it, you see it in live games, any big decision, it could go either way, right? People are on the fence and it could go either way. And sometimes it's something you can say, you don't want to be cheesy. You don't want to be predatory. You, you want it to be in the 
in the unwritten rules of the game, what you do, right? And you don't want to slow the game down, of course, but there are little subtle things you can do to sway people's decisions. And uh, that's the part I'm enjoying. That's the kind, the part, the, the new level for me is just a ton of talking and interacting while I'm just lighting it on fire with some horrible hand. And because I, I, most of my career, I couldn't do that. I couldn't be very, very confident and calm and funny while I was bluffing it off, right? I could, I could do it with the nuts like everyone else, but I've kind of enjoying doing it with, with, with that hands now. Kind of fun yeah. for me. It, it is fun. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a preflop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I loved the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the Poker Power Hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. 
If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Bootcamp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. You mentioned that we're lying at poker. I, I do want to touch back on that because I, I think that like, it's true. Poker is a game of deception, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there are lots of games of deception just like in the world. And I would say like the first conversation that I had with uh, John Van Fleet, Ape Styles, uh, we played a game on the show, a since retired game. And what stood out to me was just how fucking horrible of an actual liar he was. Uh, <laughs> just like in this like mini, mini podcast game that I had, he, he was atrocious at like lying or being deceptive to another human being. And I just think that like poker is kind of the same and that like, yeah, it's a, it's a game of deception. But the reality is like gamesmanship is fun. I think it's just a, makes for a more enjoyable experience. I think it's absolutely foolish for major poker tournaments to disallow like that sort of gamesmanship or talking or like when there's a big decision on the river somebody showing a card or showing their hand to be like look this is what i have like to get a read or what i just think it's good for tv it, it always made the game more fun for me just personally but maybe i'm biased because i benefit from that sort of thing more than the average person i'm certainly I'm certainly able to see that angle of it too, but I just think that like that sort of gamesmanship and the game within the game of like talking and like, yeah, it just, to me, that's part of what makes poker just a beautiful game and super fun and always interesting. What What is the point? They don't, I know that I haven't played a bunch of tournaments, but you're not allowed to expose a card, even if it's head, heads up at the end or no, no, like the, the, the best games are when you can expose a card, like, whenever you want and, and right as long as you're not slowing down the game i don't understand they're, what are they doing protecting people from getting their minds like blown or what i don't what are they doing it's just like an overreaction i don't know if you remember the one year where there was like no f-bombs at the wsop right or maybe it was like a few years where it's just like the worst thing you could ever possibly try to implement from somebody that probably never plays poker has never sat down and played in a poker tournament from on high. That's like, no, no more F bombs. And what happened in practice was like, basically if the dealers liked you, you could drop as many fucking F bombs as you wanted to. And if the dealer didn't like you and you said the F word, well, you're getting, you're going straight to the penalty box and you're getting going into timeout. Right. So like it was very subjective, the implementation of the rule. Plus like, there's a, a vast difference between like me looking at you and be like, you motherfucker, or like you, you know, getting rivered and being like, fuck, right? Like there's right, two, two, two different situations. I, I think that like it just got too rigid, right? Like they're just trying to be too rigid. And they're like, no, good players can get an edge by showing a card on the river against the amateur player. So we're not going to allow it ever at all. When it, when it's like, the amateur player can close their eyes, right? They can, they don't have to look at it <laughs> like that. It, I don't know. It, it just struck me as kind of like uh, an overreach. To me. Yeah. It seems like, I don't get it. You're trying to protect people from having edge. Well, that's what, that's what are we playing for? If you're not allowed to have edge, are we just sitting there playing bingo? Like, no, it, it is about having edge. And I think 
I think you talk about amateur and professional. I think that gap is just almost non-existent these days. There are there are amateur or recreational players that play just as well as the pros. The only difference is they don't devote as much time and they're not as stressed out at the table. So sometimes they play better. Um, I just, yeah, I don't know why I just wanted to fit that in that I don't really, you don't, people just think like, oh, I can do whatever I want at the table. I'm an amateur player. Bullshit. You play just as good as everyone else. You have to, you have to be cool too. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and and we have like mutual acquaintances or friends that are basically recreational. I, I think the term recreational is just kind of outdated and stupid. I don't love the term recreational because like it doesn't say anything about the profile of the human being that's playing cards. Because like you said, like Tango, for instance, is a recreational poker player, but like he's not giving it away, right? He's going to play at a high level and you're not going to love seeing him in your game. Yet he is a recreational technically. I think the term that the term I'm trying to get caught on besides fish, which I think fish is more accurate than recreational for what it's worth is uh, just an instinctual player, right? Somebody that like feels something and then acts on that impulse or that instinct. They're not trained in strategy. And to me, that just feels like a more accurate term, especially because like instinctual players worldwide all do the same kind of ridiculously instinctual things, right? Like they play too many ends pre-flop. They'll choose the same type of situations to bluff. They'll find lines and, and they're not like, in a chat room discussing poker strategy on like how to, how to play poker at a low level. Right. It's, this is just like how human beings are constructed. Um, so anyway, that's my, that's my big thing on like, I I think the difference is just like one person acts purely on instinct with no real strategic background and the other people have strategic background and experience and wisdom. And that's why they play at a higher level in a bunch of spots. But in, in some cases, even if you're a high level poker player, if you get put into a situation that is foreign to you, you can revert back to being an instinctual player, right? Like you can just feel something and then choose an action because you don't know of anything else to do. And that that's pretty interesting uh, sort of tangent just in and of itself. Yeah. I tilt. Tilt's an amazing thing. I've been on tilt so many times and I'm so aware of it. And yet it comes back every single session almost. And then you have to battle to like, Get rid of it, and I know when I'm on till I'm, I'm gonna play fine, I'm still gonna be a favorite, but I'm not gonna have any superpowers at all, right? It's gonna be I'm gonna get owned sometimes. Whereas, you know, if you're off tilt, you, you have all that, you, you know, all the experience, all the training you've done, all that stuff gives, gives you a nice edge at the table. Yeah, I mean, when you're emotionally compromised, you start seeing things through a much narrower lens, and that just kind of holds you back. and to your detriment as a, as a live poker player. Yeah. Agreed. What would you consider a weakness in your poker game? Uh, I guess pre-flop we've talked about that a lot, but anything it's not, else? It's not as much of a weakness anymore. I mean, it's, it's become less of a weakness. It's probably still a weakness, but it's become much less of a weakness. Uh, lately I am just folding so much more, um, a weakness is my biggest weakness, not closest tilt. It just is. I just, I have the, I, what I call poker PTSD from, from running in a way that usually ends people's poker careers. And I'm too stubborn and I'm too entrenched in it. 
that I just keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. And eventually I'll start running better, but it stays with you. The, the, you know, losing 95 fives just routinely, it stays with you and it's, it creeps in the back of your mind and you can't have that when you're playing a hand, right? Cause it's distracting it. And even if you're going to get to the right decision, it's distracting and you're going to miss something else. Um, so it's tilt, you could call it tilt or mindset by far my, 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 my biggest weakness, my, my a game, the amount of time I play my a game is just such a small percentage. And, but at least it's some percentage again now. Right. And it's hopefully will will become a bigger percentage as, as time goes on. And I think for a few years, I just almost never played it. And at least lately I've been playing it sometimes. When you say tilt, could you describe the inner dialogue that's kind of going on in your head? Because like you say this, right? And I think that people will get an image of you like tilting your brains well, out. It's, but it's like, not like overtly tilting. It, mm-hmm. It's it's internal. It's it's thinking you are the unluckiest person, this fucking luck box that just uh you know got there in some hand against you. You're never gonna get that spot against. You know, you start thinking about how slow live poker is, and th- that's it mainly. It's it's just focusing on variance too much. It's not like this this person's being a jerk and I'm rattled. That that almost never happens, and 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 I'm not usually. Maybe at the end of a bad session, I'll say a few words, like as I'm walking off or something. But that's just because I'm I'm a grizzled vet, man. But no, it's 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 being distracted. It's, ha- it's having a very busy mind as opposed to being very calm and all you see, like you just forget about everything in your life. Th- this is, will be my A game is I, I, is I literally can only see the table, right? And my cards and I'm just going around following the action while interacting with people and cultivating this good game. And I'm just locked in and I'm not thinking how unlucky I am or how lucky that guy is. I'm just thinking in a vacuum each hand, which is, you know, that, that that's my A game. And, and I, I went a few years without ever playing it, but lately I've been playing it sometimes. And I would like to ramp that up, you know, to, I would love to get to like a third of the time I'm playing my A game. And then, and then, you know, hopefully beyond that. I think people say like, Oh, I play my A game all the time. I don't believe anyone that says that. And especially anyone that's been in the game, you know, as, as long as I have, it's just too easy not to, you, you think about your kids, you think about it, you know, all this other stuff in your life. And, and that means you're instantly not playing your A game. When you're playing your A game. You forget you have kids. I think that somebody that says they play their A game all the time is lacking the awareness to discern the difference between their A game and their C game in the first place, which kind of is a problem, like inherently uh, just in and of itself. You mentioned so here here's the thing that I think is interesting that we can kind of tie everything back in is that when you are doing your podcast, right, and you're talking about how unlucky you are, you're verbalizing this and putting it out of the world, and then that's what your self image reflects, right? Like you're you're making it stronger by putting it out there and verbalizing it all the time. And I had this suspicion that like, as you start turning that around and putting it out there, that you're going to be playing your A game more often, that that's just something that will naturally manifest because you'll just, 
it's just natural. We want to live up to our self image of who we are or who we think we are. And when you put it out there verbally in a public place, like, you know, you do four days a week. Um, and then on this show as well, good things tend to happen when you put yourself out there like that. Yeah. I, I, I'm very committed to focusing less on variants, uh, just trying to put stuff in the past quicker. Uh, it's definitely not easy. It would be way too ideal to idealistic to say it's, it's easy, but I, I do work on it. I'm aware of, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely my biggest, my biggest weakness is I got this busy mind at the table thinking about stuff that, that doesn't have anything to do with winning money right now. And, and I know my A game when I'm playing my game, I literally after a while won't know where I'm at. I, I, I won't have any idea what casino I'm at. Nothing, man. Just all it is is following the action around and talking and like, and just, you know, it being, I guess they call it in the flow or whatever it is. Flow. Uh, yep. It's a, it's a great feeling and uh, it's draining in a really good way. And I went years without having it and, and I've, I've tapped into it a little bit lately, just a little, I'm definitely not ready to uh, battle at the highest level right now. I think like theoretically I could, I, I see it and say, that's bad. That's, that's, you know, saw that coming, but would I be in that? Would I be playing my A game in, in a really big, tough game right now? No, I need to play it more often at, at these, uh, you know, five ten type games. Could first. I, let me ask you a question. Do you think it's coincidental that you've struggled the last three years and you've also haven't been in a flow state the last three years? Yeah. I mean, struggling is a tough way to describe it. My, my, my financial situation is a steep one. I kind of, you know, and I've told this story so many times where kind of in a blur, Hit a, hit a rock bottom in, in, four years ago and found myself in, in massive debt, right? And it was honestly a blur. It, there was no insight into it, right? Maybe like little glimpses here, but it was so blurry. And so being in debt and having a high monthly nut, which I do, if I had just said, I'm gonna play poker, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to poker one last time. I would be out of it by now. Right. But I had this stuff that meant that means so much to me. The, the, the content, you know, I was, I, I was, I was always a writer. Like that's, that's my thing. Like I'm just someone that needs to get stuff out. Um, and, and building a community and a, and a company. So my like hourly rate, it's fine. I just haven't put in enough hours to get to, bigger games where I can actually start, you know, making a dent in, in this, uh, comeback. And, uh, so it's tricky. You can think, you know, the, the first time I went bust, I, I won like 60 K that year. So, but does that mean I struggled in poker? Yeah, I struggled, but still didn't lose. Right. It's just, uh, there's, there's a lot more to it than well, are you winning or losing at the poker table? Yeah, there's like treading water and then there's actually thriving, right? Like that's right. the difference. I, I wouldn't imagine that you playing live poker, you could ever have a losing year unless you like somehow lost half of your 
mind and went totally insane, um, you're always going to be a winning live poker. It's just excelling versus right. just kind of, you know, making it. Yeah. I, I always said I could never have a losing year because I just, I'm built for it. Um, um, you know, being, knowing what people are thinking is, is very valuable at a poker table and knowing what they're thinking, I'm thinking is valuable and all that. So, no, I'm just a great fit for, for live, no limit specifically, uh, games that are more technical. I'm not because I'm too social and, and it doesn't interest me. Um, but yeah. You mentioned something. I don't know if you've made this connection, but when you're doing your podcast, when you're writing, you know, you mentioned getting the, that creative side out of you and into the world and how that is so meaningful to you. And I would say that in No Limit Texas Hold'em playing live poker, there's also artistry in how we hone our craft, how we execute. There's art there. There's seeing things that other people do not see and then acting on them and doing things other people would not do that you just intuitively know is going to be, you know, it's going to perform very, very well. And, and I think that like, that's another side where, you know, you and I, we are creative people, right? Like that's why we have podcasts and that's why we write and that's why we put the things that we put out there in the world. But first and foremost, you know, we are poker players and there is that level of creativity and artistry as it relates to performing and playing live poker that I think, yeah, I, I think the poker world is much better off when you're an artist out there kicking people's asses at the big stakes and performing in flow. I think it's just, uh, yeah, the, the poker world needs as many of those human beings as, as it can find just because like, I think it's just a beautiful thing to see in motion. Yeah. Thank you. I think, uh, so let me just, uh, let me just clarify what, what we're both talking about. I think is I will be sitting next to someone and it could be a multi-way pot and they're the button and I'm the small blind and, and, they bet the flop with a hand I instantly know cannot stack off, right? Whether it's whether they just have a pair under the top card or they're just it's a it's a total bluff or maybe it's top pair. They just can't stack off. And and I know that and, and no one else seems to have anything. And so your options are not to fold, even though you don't have anything. You should you shouldn't be folding here. You could call, but that's not great because then someone else could make a move and now you're screwed or someone else could call light and, and one of these guys could bink. So that's still not great. And sometimes if you're not playing, if I'm not playing my, my best, I'll never fold, but I might call, which is bad. And, you know, just like float multi-way, which is just bad. And and then the next step up is like, no, I need to raise here, right? And I need to rep like I flopped something, right? And so you raise and, but you still don't know everything about everyone else in the pot, right? You, you, you have ideas, but you don't know everything. And so sometimes you'll run into a slow plate set or whatever, and you just lit an unnecessary amount of money on fire when the real correct play is to raise very small and win the pot on the turn. If everything checks out, the people that seem weak are weak and they fold and the guy calls once and you get value for your bluff. You just are making more money. You're losing less when someone, you know, had something you didn't realize. So that's just like, it's very basic strategy. But when you're thinking, oh, fuck, man, I run the worst. Uh, my kids got basketball camp I got to pay for right now. All this shit that, that I do think about that I try not to. Um, that's the difference is, 
is I will sometimes just raise big there and it's just not, it'll work a ton, but it's just not anywhere near as good as raising very small and which just is going to scare everyone. And then just betting something like bigger on the turn. And if they want to get sticky, then they're going to have to, they're going to have to call it all on the river. And it's just a very, it's just it's basic, right? It's basic strategy, but it's easy to not do it in the moment, right? Yeah, it's, it's efficiency, right? It's like the small raise is more efficient than the large raise. Um, and just having the patience and the discipline to just kind of see it and execute. I mean, knowing what to do is not the full battle because you actually have to do what you know you need to do, which is, you know, it can be tricky. It can be a lot harder than you would you might suspect. I, I guess this one hand always brings me back in time to like a my low level of technical play but ability to pay attention really just pay attention to my human beings that I'm playing poker against I had queen 5 suited this was in tunica probably 2005 or so I can't even remember the size of the pot I just know I had queen 5 suited and I know that I was in the big blind and I called a raise and it was like four ways and I flopped a 5 the flop was like 10 5 deuce and oh, nice, congrats thank you it was great i flopped middle pair i was super pumped um good kicker very good kicker yeah queen uh third third best kicker it checks around um there, i was paying close attention to all of my opponents and the guy that was last to act was like watching tv you know he couldn't have been less interested in the board or the pod or anything so it checks through and like the turns a nine and I stabbed because like I did a lot of stabbing back then, even four ways. Uh, so I stab four ways, I bet. And everybody folds this last guy that was kind of just like staring off into space. And now all of a sudden he raises me big. Um, I stabbed like 100 or 150, whatever, and he raised me to like 800 or something. And it was like, it was one of those moments where I just knew. Like, I, you know, I put all the pieces together and it was like, yeah, he's got queen jack. Like, basically, he had nothing on the flop, no interest at all. And now, all of a sudden, they're just—he's just choosing to raise with his open in a straight draw and over cards. Um, because, like, even if they would have had nines, they would have had some interest in the board right. in the pot. Yeah. Like, they would have considered betting. They would have taken their time. They wouldn't have just automatically checked. So, anyway, I call the turn. River's like a deuce. I check, and they bomb like fifteen hundred or whatever. And I call, and he shows the queen jack, and like, I, I just remember thinking, like, man. I can do this. Like I'm fucking, I'm paying attention. Like I have a knack and a skill to play this game and, uh, we'll never forget his comment when he saw my hand, his comment was just, wow, if I knew you had that, I would have bet more. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, man, you got so owned. You don't even know that you got owned or why you got owned. And like, if he would have bet more, he would have just given me more money because like I had already assigned him queen Jack period in this exact situation with the flop data point. And um, it's doing things like that, I think, in live poker, just in the moment where you just know. You just get a piece of information, and you're like, well, I know what you have, so yeah, let's let's go to war. And what was what was the uh, data point that you prioritized to number one in that hand? That would be the flop check back, and with zero interest in the board or the pod Watching or anything. Watching the TV, right? Him watching the TV, yeah. It's not even the flop check back because he could have a good hand and do that. That's true. Uh, That's true. It's it's him watching TV, right, and, and just uninterested. And then it if you're if you're playing your A game, you know that's okay. This is the number one variable. This gets the most weight, right? When you have an impossible call with a five, 
it's an interesting lead on the term, but anyway, give it a possible call. 2005, you- <laughs> man. I told you. <laughs> it's, I just said it's interesting, man. <laughs> okay. So you have an impossible call, except for this one thing that doesn't exist in online poker. And, and, and probably most training sites would say like, that's stupid. Just don't even think about that. You just have to fold here, but you were correct in giving it the most weight or prioritizing it. Number one. And you were able to just win this fat fucking pot because you went beyond the, the basics of, oh, queen five is a bad fucking hand on 10, five, deuce, nine, when I get eight X raised on the turn. Right. right. Yeah. So that's pretty cool, man. We're, you're, you're, a, you're a soul reader at heart. I think so. I love that term, by the way, like soul read. It's so like, it, it's such a... I don't know who came up with it, but man, it is fucking just on point where like you are reading somebody's fucking soul in some of these spots. Well, a lot of the live stuff, like soul reading, well, mainly soul reading, and I guess there's other stuff too, is actually very relevant to the live game. And when online poker came around and people, online poker was obviously from the beginning in forever way more advanced technically than live no no question right but with that came all the experts were online players all the ones you know posting stuff and they just made fun of all the live stuff that's actually very real it's just it just is people do raise to see where they're at um and you know people do soul read like look at that hand you just played who how could you call 8x raise with queen five on, on 10 5 deuce nine well you sorry you just went beyond poker beyond you know conventional technical. if i would have posted it on two plus two they would have destroyed me right yeah. yeah exactly they would have and and when i was posting i think it was 2008 a lot i was getting roasted at the beginning because i was doing all this stuff right and then like by 2011 i never got roasted everyone just agreed with me because uh, i was winning all the money and all the people that were roasting me were fucking gone they've been washed out and like uh yeah so nice hand man queen five it's funny you kind of don't want either one right like neither are especially great you want you don't want people just like coming after you just to come after you because like they can't expand the way they think about poker but you also don't want everybody agreeing with you either because then you don't get to grow or have to like validate your ideas theoretically like you need some pushback so that you can really think hard about what you're doing and not just assume that it's good because everybody just agrees with you yeah, I think I think even the the you don't want either, but but the former is actually better for you than the, than everyone agreeing with you. And that was just like when it was time to like stop posting, right? Like, what am I doing? I'm just like giving all this stuff away for free, and I'm not really learning anything because people are just hitting plus one every single time. <laughs> yeah, nobody's so. challenging you, right? Um, man, it, it's been good having you. You know, we've we caught up. I had questions prepared and stuff prepared but i just want to save all that because i need to have you back on the show in the near future i'm you've excited me you've made me excited you've excited me is that it yeah made me excited about your path and your journey moving forward and now i feel more invested right like let's get him on the show and catch up and see you know 
the steps that you've made and what you're doing and how it's going. Yeah, I figured you would you would like that. That I've kind of, I kind of am chasing poker greatness. I, I I've I think I've achieved it twice for pretty long periods of time, and and I'm trying to do it a third and definitely final time on my way out. And and it doesn't mean I'm going to sacrifice anything with my podcast or my community or or my startup poker acts. Those those get all my love and and everything I have. But I'm carving out time and energy and passion for poker too i just started um when that when that fucker stopped supporting me because i wasn't winning enough and i just kind of made me mad and i just i don't know i'm gonna i just decided i'm not losing anymore so you know what i'm gonna say that that's the supporter you needed that that supporter that supporter is like the one that you needed in that moment that is going to provide you the most value yeah so now i'm on the hook for, for running it up in poker one more time. Even if I run it up in, in podcasting or business before then, I'm I'm still on the hook to do it one last time. And you know, for the listener, I'm sure that if you've listened to Chasing Poker Greatness for a long period of time, you know me and DGAF's history, but he's a good guy. And that's why, like, you know, when he says, like, I thought you'd be excited, like I'm excited for just you as a human fucking being just getting out there and plying your trade, practicing your craft, the thing that you are, you know, you are a world-class fucking poker player. And it's exciting to see you, you know, getting after it again. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And you're also a pretty good dude, especially with, with, with your hair growing back. You just like the ultimate good dude. Now you don't, you don't look scary at all. And, <laughs> and uh, is everything going good for you? Yeah, everything's good, man. Just uh, doing the same thing. We're growing the podcast, doing the work, doing private coaching, making courses, selling things. It's a lot of energy expenditure, but um, I'm actually kind of pumped up to go start playing some live poker here in the near future, do some travel and, you know, just talk to human beings, right? Like in, in, the, in the flesh, I, I think yeah. I, it took me a while to get excited to go play live poker again. But I think I've finally reached that point to where like, yeah, I want to go. I want to talk to people. I want to play for a lot of money because it's really fun. Yes, it is. It, it really is. So I look forward to hearing how that goes because you, you do seem like in your, in your poker prime right now, which makes sense. You've been building all this strategy stuff and you've been playing online and those are very good, uh, you know, training tools towards uh, flexing your muscles when you get out there. Yeah, I mean, when you see a complex thing and you try to distill it down so that you can communicate it to somebody who's much less experienced in poker, well, you just end up understanding that thing very intimately and way better than you started out understanding it, which just means that your poker game elevates in the same way that other people's poker game elevates when they, you know, consume the training material. It's just, uh, it's a win-win for me. Um, it's hard, it's stressful, but ultimately it's doing the work and, um, yeah, we'll, I'm sure you and I will be meeting up very soon. Maybe we can have like a session slash CPG meetup game and, you know, you, you can get paid to just show up, play live poker somewhere. Actually, no, nobody knows who you are. So you're still doing the whole anonymity. No, shit. I'm not, man. I do meetups like do Once you? a week. Yeah, really? I mean, not usually poker, but I, I have meetups all the time, man. What, what's like a non-poker meetup? What do you mean? 
like going bowling, <laughs> going to a bar with your people, with your tribe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're getting to the point now. Maybe you can get your fucking face out there, and you know. Yeah, you know. it's not as pretty as it used to be, though. Well, say la vie. You know, that's life. We're we're getting <laughs> older, right? We we have to deal with that. These are yeah. the, the the natural consequences of getting older. Yeah, um, that's true. Oh, man, it's been great having you on. We'll do it again in the near future. And uh, keep on keeping on. I'm pumped up. I'm excited to see what develops over the next year. All right, Brad. You too, man. Thanks a lot. And uh, I'll have you on session sometime soon as well. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.